Hello, and welcome to Gilmore Ball Z, the podcast where I make my wife watch Dragon Ball Z, and she makes me watch Gilmore Girls, in the hopes that we find some kind of common ground. I'm Grant. I'm Paige. And this week we watched episode 14 of Dragon Ball Z Kai, and season 1, episode 12 of Gilmore Girls. So, Paige, what happened this week on Dragon Ball Z Kai? So, uh, this week on Dragon Ball Z Kai was, once again, a lot of punching and screaming. Our listeners may remember from next time, Goku had just turned on his Kaioken times three, which is very dangerous to his body, I'm told, and then punched the crap out of Vegeta. Like they, he they, they punched each other good. Shot him into the sun a little bit. And at that point, uh, Yajirobe popped up and's like, hey, Goku, and Goku's like, what the heck are you doing here? The Vegeta comes rocketing back to Earth. And decides, after some A-plus interior monologue expositioning, that he needs to go into his monkey form. Unfortunately, the moon was destroyed by Piccolo, uh, foreseeing this kind of occurrence and trying to prevent it. And so he has to grab the fake moon he has in his pocket out and throw it to make a fake moon, and he turns into a hundred-foot-tall monkey man and beats up Goku a lot. And then Goku decides that the only way to beat him is to do a Kaioken times three level spirit bomb, but hasn't been able to get the ten seconds necessary to charge up a spirit bomb. That was this episode of Dragon Ball. What happened this week on Gilmore Girls? Oh, this week on Gilmore Girls was the the double date episode. Date night in Dementia Town. It was date night in Dementia Town. Basically, Lane apparently has a crush on Dean's friend, Todd. Todd. And so she asked if Rory will talk to Dean about setting up a double date with Rory and Dean and Lane and Todd. Oh, Todd. So she can get together, so she can spend some time with Todd because Todd is apparently her soulmate. It's very obviously just sort of that awkward we've spoken twice in math class and now I'm in love with him situations that happen when you're 16. But Rory is able to twist, uh, twist Dean's arm into setting it up. And then at the same time, Suki and Jackson agreed to go out with each other in last the last episode, but apparently they've not since actually set up a time, and so there's much awkwardness of her not being sure if he actually wants to go out, and should I ask him, what should I do, and Lorelai kind of positively peer pressures Suki is just calling Jackson and setting up a time. Yep. Unfortunately, the only time that they can set up is when Jackson's cousin Rune is going to be in from out of town, and so Suki just kind of panicking and says, oh, well, my friend Lorelai can come. We can make it a double date. So both of the Gilmore girls are going on double dates that at least one party doesn't actually want to be in on the same night. Rory and Lane know that Mrs. Kim will never go along with this, so they come up with some excuse about studying. And they know that Lorelai isn't going to want to lie to Mrs. Kim, so to give her plausible deniability, they just say, we're going to the movies, and leave out the fact that it's a double date. So they go, and basically, both of the dates are kind of a disaster. Suki is panicking, and doesn't know how to talk to Jackson, and so she just talks to Lorelai the whole night. Rune has apparently decided that Lorelai is too tall, and various facial features are too large, uh, and is just generally kind of an asshole. And so Lorelai isn't quite sure what to do there. And then on the younger generation side, it turns out Todd is incredibly boring and kind of stupid. 
loves Beethoven. Yeah, his the favorite movie, movie with the dog. Yeah, his favorite movie is Beethoven, the one with the dog, because there's a scene where a dog carries a cabbage. This is the pinnacle of comedy to Todd. He's nothing to say about books, nothing to say about music, nothing to say about anything. Except Beethoven. Except Beethoven. It's the only the only moment of, of, of emotion we get from Todd is how hilarious Beethoven is. Meanwhile, Lane is like word vomiting about Beck. Yeah, yeah. Lane is just talking, talking, talking about all the different bands that she likes, and Todd's obviously not interested. So date night is a disaster for everybody involved. Uh, and Dean was reticent to set this up in the first place, so he's kind of, you know, just watching this all happen. Lorelai kind of slaps some sense into Suki. They go to Luke's, and at Luke's, Rune throws a bit of a temper tantrum and tries to get Jackson to leave and go bowling. And Suki tells Jackson, oh, please don't leave. And so then he tells Rune basically to, you know, tells him where he can go shove his bowling balls, and Rune storms out. So then Suki and Jackson just could have a nice date at Luke's. Now, Luke and and Lorelai are, like, playing cards and talking up by the bar. Staying out of the way. Staying out of the way so that Suki and Jackson can have their date. And Luke is literally about to ask Lorelai out. We're all just on the edge of our seat. And then Hurricane Mrs. Kim rolls through. And has a, the, he's called the house and gone to the video store and tried to figure out where the girls are and the girls are missing and what's going on. And, oh, it's okay, they're at the movies with Dean. Oh, they're out with a boy. And Mrs. Kim just shuts down the whole situation. Well, Lorelai didn't know that Mrs. Kim didn't know. Yeah, exactly. It comes out, the the girl's deception comes out. And so Lorelai and Mrs. Kim both show up and drag their respective daughters home. We fast forward a couple of days. Mrs. Kim has gone full lockdown. Lane literally can't leave the house except for school and church. So Lorelai goes to talk to her and basically gives her the look, my parents tried to keep me locked up all the time and force me into living a certain way, and look what happened. It turned out good, like, but I don't want it for Yeah, Lane. like, it turned out okay at the end, but I'm sure you don't want Lane getting pregnant at 16, right? And just kind of tries to talk to Mrs. Kim mom to mom. It seemingly gets through to her just a little bit, because... Mrs. Kim loosens the leash a little bit and lets Lane at least leave the house a little. And then at the end of the episode, Luke kind of sort of asks Lorelai out, and she kind of sort of says yes. He's like on the verge, and then he like ca- like takes yeah. the coward's way out and says, "I want to play cards again." Yeah, he backpedals on it a little bit, but there there was something going on there there were sparks yeah there, I mean there have been sparks since the first episode but there there was there was some advancement there and yeah that was basically Gilmore Girls this yeah week. and we learned that Suki and Jackson have gone on more dates yeah it's yeah going yeah. Well. We, yeah we learned that Suki and Jackson are going well they've gone on more dates it's it, it all worked out in the end yeah so what did you think of the episode um this was a rather, relatively inoffensive episode of Gilmore Girls it wasn't great, but there was nothing that particularly stood out to me that, like, was really bad about it. I felt like it was a, it was a pretty average episode. Uh, you know, there was some good comedy. I like that Suki finally got real room to be a character. This is the first episode where I've felt like Lane actually fits. Yeah. Up until now, I've kind of felt like Lane just does not fit in the show's formula. Like, really, up until now, I thought it'd be better if we just cut the best friend character, but I think that it was good to actually see Lane, actually see Mrs. Kim get a little bit of 
character beyond just being the stereotypical demanding Asian parent yeah. was kind of nice. I feel like my suspension of disbelief was really strained to the breaking point that anybody would not find Lauren Graham just absolutely gorgeous. Like, that was the thing for me, is like, he's, and I get he's a short guy and she's really tall and okay, but he's still nitpicking other things. Like, if it was just he was insecure about her being tall, that could have been funny. But he was just, like, Rune's obviously under the impression that Lorelai was just not attractive. And I just, I refuse to believe that. I'm sorry. Especially in this episode, Lorelai looked absolutely amazing, and any guy would be happy if she was his, she was his blind date. I have to say, one thing I did really appreciate that that reminded me of is there's a scene in the episode where the everyone, all the girls are getting ready for the double date in the house. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciated how they highlighted the difference between 16-year-olds on a double date and 30-year-olds on a double date. Yeah. Just the level of clothes and prep. Because mm -hmm. they're both going as hard as they can, but the, the younger generation is trying to figure out how to get a nice casual-seeming shirt-jacket combo that makes you look as good as you can while in the adult side there's like hair curling and makeup and like accessorizing of dresses and I kind of liked that. And we also got to see them complimenting each other. Like everybody got to compliment each other and like it was nice. It was in the a, sisterhood of the yeah, house. It, yeah and it worked. It worked in a nice way. Uh, what did you think of this week's uh, Dragon Ball Z Kai? You know this week on Dragon Ball Z Kai we are back to the screaming and chest beating and like all that emotional interesting stuff that was going on last episode is just out the window as like we decide who, like, Spirit Bomb is, like, an inch bigger. Because I don't I mean, care. Yeah, you skipped over, you skipped over the, the, the most phallic moment, and also, like... What was the... I missed the most phallic moment. Mom, I love you. This is, you know, like, you raised a daughter who still misses out on the phallic moments. What did I miss? I mean, literally, the first half of the episode was just them trying to get bigger beams to hit each other with. I guess. Uh, you know, the, the actually kind of the the iconic moment of the Goku-Vegeta battle that, uh, you know, like, they put it in the opening, they reanimated it for the opening of, of Dragon Ball Z Kai, and it's referred to, again and again, it was the first big hype moment of Dragon Ball Z, is when when Vegeta decides, fuck this shit, I'm gonna blow the planet up. Yeah. And he, he, he raises his Gallic gun to just blow up the planet, and Goku is able to negate and overpower a planet-killing attack. With an all-out Kamehameha. Yeah, with a Kaioken times four Kamehameha. And so that big beam struggle is, like, considered one of the watershed moments of Dragon Ball Z. I don't know, I've just seen so many things that are, like, one guy trying to hit another guy with a beam, and they meet in the middle. Like, I know it came later, but I saw it in Harry Potter, I've seen it in Dragon Ball, I've seen it... I feel like everywhere. Yeah, and if it, it, and it maybe is a Seinfeld is unfunny thing where I've seen it in other places who have taken it from there, but it's kind of what it is. I don't care. Well, and just I mean, there's not much character drama to be had in that moment. It's the spectacle. Yeah, and that's one of the big spectacle moments of of Dragon Ball Z. Is that's the first really big like, oh wait, planet destroying forces are are in play now. But I don't care, like. The problem with the escalation growth is, like, in a couple of episodes, we've gone from being over 9,000, 8,000, depending on the translation, is world-shattering, to Goku being at 19,000, which breaks the scanner. Then Vegeta, who is stronger than Goku, going up to 10 times power, which makes me wonder, it's to, to transition into questions. Give me your first question. Do... 
do Saiyans have to replace all of their scanners once every month because they break when they go to become monkeys? Uh, the, the scouters exploding is kind of considered a new advent in... But why? Because Goku goes to four times power, he goes to 19,000, which is very high, and it breaks a scanner. That makes sense. But if Vegeta becoming a monkey is ten times Vegeta's normal power, which if we follow basic laws of multiplication... Yeah, yeah it's gonna be bigger. It's gonna be bigger. Shouldn't turning into a monkey break scanners all the time. Not if you don't have them turned on. I guess. Yeah, they just turn them off before they're going to transform. This is this is a valid logistical question. But I, my no prize is that they, you know... They just, rem like, they have an alarm on their phones to turn it off. Yeah, that's that's my no prize there. That's a perfectly valid logistical question. Okay, next question. Do Saiyans have more difficulty colonizing planets with no moons? That is an excellent question, and they probably do. Uh, or they probably do have a more difficult time of it. I feel like... I th I want to say when Raditz first showed up, he mentioned that part of the reason why Goku, or Kakarot, yeah. was sent to Earth is because they have a moon, so even a low-class Saiyan warrior with low potential can still turn into the great, the mighty Ozaru and, and conquer the planet. Um, so yeah, I would imagine they prioritize their targets that way, and if, if uh, a planet doesn't have a, a moon that, you know, puts out the right type of light or whatever, but might still be a problem, they have to prioritize and send more powerful Saiyan warriors accordingly. You know, unfortunately, we never get much of an idea of how Planet Vegeta functioned when it, you know, was still not... Full of Saiyans. Well, still there. Yeah. I mean, the first scene of the show was Frieza blowing up Planet Vegeta. Yeah. So we never get to see what Planet Vegeta was like in its heyday, really. Um, but I'm sure there was those kinds of logistical things going on. Okay, I'm going to go through the rest of my questions in order, because I had a lot this episode. Please. For an episode where not much happened, I got a lot of Give questions. Give me all of your questions. Okay, Goku can only be in the, like, anything higher than a three times Kaioken mode for a couple minutes without doing vast damage to his body. So why does he spend so much time in his higher level Kaioken modes, standing and having internal monologues while staring at Vegeta, who's not doing anything? Animation budget? Animation budget. Well, animation budget, but also, I forget, did we have shots of him standing there while he had the red aura? No. Because the thing is, he turns it on and off. Okay, because he was still talking about how this might hurt his body while he had it turned off. Yeah, well, it's just, you know, he pushes it for a second. Okay. Um, to, yeah, so if he, if he doesn't have that glowy red aura, it's not on at the moment. He can turn it on and off at will. Okay, why does creating a mini-moon drop Vegeta's power level? He pulls out this mini-moon object and throws it up in the sky, and there's a mini-moon that allows him to become a monkey, even though the moon has been destroyed. Is gear taken into account when calculating power levels? Well, it's not gear. He, he conjures this ball of light with okay. his own energy. It's a technique that he's learned, so he has to drop his power level to manifest the orb. Okay. But then when he tosses it up and bursts it, it mixes with the oxygen and creates a, a light reaction not unlike a full moon. Gotcha. Why is King Kai like giving commentary? The, the King Kai peanut gallery is going to be a running theme in Dragon Ball Z. Uh, we've established that King Kai's antenna can pick up on anything happening anywhere in the universe or right. the galaxy or whatever. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, he trained Goku for, for half a year. And he has a vested interest in whether or not Goku will be able to stop Vegeta. So he's watching. And that's going to be a thing for pretty much the rest of the show, is King Kai will be watching 
you know, what's what's transpiring, either for his own edification or, like, you know, spoilers, Yamcha, Tien, Chaozu, and Piccolo are gonna end up on King Kai's planet. Makes sense. And so then they're all gonna be watching Goku, and King Kai will be filling them in on what's happening. So, it's just, they're introducing it, it's gonna be a function of the show that we get King Kai's peanut gallery. Okay, Saiyans... Like, they gave in at this episode a explanation for the biology of Saiyans being able to turn into uh, monkeys. monkeys for the full moon, that some made-up gobbledygook about why the mm. light refracting <clears throat> off of the moon gives it a slightly different wavelength, and that reflects off the Saiyan retina to turn them into, like, to give them a biochemical reaction that turns them into monkeys. In their tail, yes. Yeah, so why is it that it goes through the retina to the tail? What does that mean? Why did they bother explain- this is rhetorical now- Why did they bother explaining it if the explanation was going to be even stupider than the lack of an explanation? It was because we want to get that comedy moment of Vegeta giving an incredibly long, purposely complicated, purposely techno babbly explanation, just so that Goku can say- Okay, and then go back to fighting. That's all it was. It was just there for the. It was just there to really show that that Goku is a simpleton. Speaking of Goku being a simpleton, has he ever heard of battle tactics in the slightest? So Vegeta turns into a giant monkey, and if I've learned anything from TV shows talking about judo, because I don't actually know anything about judo. There is value in a battle of using an opponent's size against them, and possibly, like, you know, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. He could maybe trip Vegeta as a monkey, or force him into a space that's too small, or make him run into a mountainside, or something. But all he does is sit there and go, Vegeta's really big now. That's a problem. <laughs> well, he does point out Vegeta's also still incredibly fast and agile considering his size. It's true. So, for, for certainness, that's mitigated. But the answer to your question is no. Goku does not really think about battle tactics all that much. It was actually fascinating to see Vegeta kind of thinking tactically during their fight. Yeah. Because, like, there's a moment where, where Goku's swinging around to come at him from another side, and this is when the Kaioken times three is overpowering Vegeta and he has no chance. But you see him charge up a key blast and kind of throw it in an arc. Like he's trying to lead his target and like lead Go head Goku off and stuff. He's thinking tactically like an elite warrior. Again, now Vegeta versus later Vegeta. That's going to go out the window. I've, I've, I've frequently said for somebody who's an, a, 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 you know, a highly trained elite Saiyan warrior, Vegeta's battle strategy very frequently boils down to just mashing buttons until the enemy's dead. Okay, um... Two more questions. Two more questions. Hit me. Is being injured in the Dragon Ball Z universe mostly grunting and groaning and then doing the thing you would have done anyway? Yes. Okay. Last question. One thing I noticed in this episode and that you pointed out as we were watching it. Uh, now that we are on episode 14, which is a break after the 13 episode arc, we change theme song. Well, we have the same theme song. It doesn't change theme songs like some animes do, but we change vocalists. Mm-hmm. Why does the theme song sound like a guy who was hired by a cougar for her 13-year-old's birthday party so she could hit on him over cake? Uh, I don't have an answer for you there. Uh, but it is... it is That's not going to be the most baffling choice, because they change Dragon Soul vocalists every 13 episodes. Okay, so that is my questions. What have you got? Oh, jeez. I know I had some, but asking me all of your questions threw me off. 
I definitely have it. Oh, okay, so Dementia Town. Yeah. Rory and Lane and Dean and Todd go to a movie. Yeah. Then in said movie, it appears to just be a bunch of chairs set up in somebody's house. Well, we've seen this before, actually, because when in... Lorelai and Max go on a date in town. They go to the same thing. They do. It seems like a bookstore or a video store in town has movie nights for the community where they set up chairs. And it could be that in a situation where Laura, like for all we know, Lorelai took the Jeep, so Rory and Lane are stuck on foot. A town that small might not have its own movie theater, but they have community movie nights, which are fun for the whole family. That's true. There might not be a movie theater, at least within walking distance of the residential areas. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. I just my question was: Is there no proper movie theater in Dementia Town? It's because because we set up a bunch of chairs in the reading room and put on a little movie every every week. They like that. That's a very Dementia Town thing. Like, that, that's definitely an assisted living thing. So I feel like that that holds up Dementia Town. Yeah, that's actually pretty much all I've got. This was a pretty straightforward episode of Gilmore Girls. You know, I'll admit, I have a couple questions about Gilmore Girls. Okay, what are... What well, are... I have one question that's just kind of, how does this inoperate? Oh, that's... A, oh, actually... No, I mean, like, for one thing, uh, apparently their bookkeeping is literal bookkeeping where... Michelle has a giant book that looks like Santa Claus is naughty and nice book. That's true. And actually, another thing that I noticed this episode uh, is that Lorelai's business classes magically rematerialized. Oh, they disappear so and rematerialize. My question is when she has. My question I have is when does Lorelai have time to have a business class? Because apparently it's just not a thing except when it's convenient. It's just like, how does her business class schedule work? Yeah, see, she seems to have a very normal hours for a hotel manager, and it's a night class. Like, they specifically call it out as a night class. Have we heard any, have we heard, like, hide nor hair of this business class since the pilot? I don't think we have. We might, there might have been a, there was a shout out when she first started dating Max Medina that she would be in Hartford for her business class. Oh, yes, there is, still. But it's still touch and go. Um, But the other thing that's confusing is Suki is the man, or is the head chef for the inn. And she talks about make, thinking about making baked Alaska for the menu that night. Which, I don't know enough about restauranting to know if deciding the menu for the night that day is normal or not. But what I question is that she's leisurely hand-whipping a one big bowl of meringue. When dinner service is going to be in a couple hours. Yeah, so she's just hand-whipping big bowls of meringue. Not even a sous chef doing it or anything. You know, I can understand making a test batch, so maybe that's what this is, but... I, reality cooking TV shows have told me that you get that you get leisurely. that in a mixer. Yeah, you, you get, you get a, that in a mix a mixer so you can start prepping the salmon for tonight and get you know and you the flaming yawn in, in the marinade and you probably have more than one big bowl like that's a bowl about the size only a little bit larger than the size of bowl we use to make bread dough. Yeah, like it's yeah no I I have to question how the inn operates I'm just. Anything about how the inn operates, I've just taken and I've become sensitized it to it. It is inoperable. It is inoperable. I'm not quite sure how they do it. Um, I think that another moment from this episode of Dragon Ball Z that is Dragon Ball Z Kai that is worth mentioning is when Goku realizes that he killed his grandpa. Yeah, I forgot to mention that when he realizes that he's a monster. And that was the closest to interesting character work, but unfortunately it's Goku, so it doesn't really... Like, it's just him going, oh darn, and then moving on. That's pretty much what it was. It was like, wait a minute. That means I'm the one who killed my grandpa. 
I'm a monster. Oh, well, back to fighting now. <laughs> and that's what it. What the heck? And I'm, I'm like 90% sure that is never going to be addressed again. That's just cleaning up an old plot thread from Dragon Ball. Because it was the old plot thread from Dragon Ball of, oh, right, Goku never actually found out that he was the monkey monster. We need to have him realize that now, and then we can move on. Because after this fight, the whole monkey thing is never going to be relevant again. Like, the whole monkey thing, all your questions about how monkey stuff works, don't worry about it. Because this is the last fight where monkeyness actually matters. Oh, and that's it. goodness. Okay. That's it. Um. So, who do we want to swap this episode? I want to swap Todd and Yajirobe. Okay. Because, you know what? At the end of the day, things would have gone a little bit better for Elaine... If at least at the end of the day, even if he isn't Korean, at least she was dating a nice Asian boy. That's true. Lane specifically mentions in the episode that a non-Korean boy... This is a common theme, that non-Korean boys, non-doctor-aimed boys... Yes, are the prob- are, are off-limits for Lane. So you're right. Swapping Yajirobe in, at least he's Asian. At least he's Asian. And you know what? She'd probably click about as well with Yajirobe as she would with Todd. See, I would actually think switch lane with Yajirobe, so then just Todd and Yajirobe can just, like, kick it, and be like, yeah, man, I love Beethoven, right? And just, like, have a nice a nice bro date uh, while, I don't know, I suppose that, 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 that stranding lane at the site of a battle to decide the fate of the Earth. But also, I mean, would we really miss Lane that much? I think it would be fun to swap out Goku with Lorelai in this episode. Okay. Because I really want to see Goku trying to explain to Mrs. Kim why... How parenting works. How parenting works. I really want Goku giving the talk that Lorelai gave to Mrs. Kim at the end of the episode. Just like... You know what, Mrs. Kim? I don't watch my child at all, and he turned into a great warrior. It's yeah, he, perfect. He's a, he's a really powerful warrior, and he's only five years old. I mean... Think about how much you're holding Lane back. Yeah, I was I was, I was, was with Chi-Chi at first about keeping him inside, training him to be a... letting him continue his education and be a scholar, you know? That's what, that's what I was originally thinking, too, but boy, were we wrong. He goes out in the wilderness with a demon for, for six months, or for a year... And, uh, you know, survives on his own and, and is frequently, uh, gets the crap beaten out of him by my buddy Piccolo. And by my buddy, I mean he's a guy who tried to kill me once. But, but you know, it, that's all in the past. And look at him now. He's an incredibly powerful warrior. So he really, was, just let Lorelai raise your child. Yeah, he was he was out there with, with, with Yamcha died, Tien died, Chao Tzu died, Piccolo died. He was there. Four other people, grown men, were killed. Right but, in front of him. Right in front of him, but Gohan survived. That means he's a really powerful fighter. You should consider, you know, I could, I, I know a guy who could train. Maybe you should consider letting Lane go out and train with Piccolo. Piccolo's know. dead! <laughs> He'll be back! <laughs> Six months. Krillin said something about the Dragon Balls. We'll, we'll get Piccolo back, and when he gets back, I'll call you. Lane can go out with Piccolo. She'll be gone for about a year. Is but... he going to be a Korean doctor? <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think that's... I think that's what we've got for this episode. So thank you for listening. Uh, we want to hear hear your thoughts on Goku versus Vegeta on the double dates, who you want to swap, anything like that. So uh, please hit us up uh, at Gmail. Our email address is 
GilmoreBallZ at gmail.com. On Facebook, GilmoreBallZ. You can find us on WordPress, GilmoreBallZ.wordpress.com. And on Twitter, we are at GilmoreBallZ. Also, uh, if you think of it, review us on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Facebook, wherever you, wherever you get our podcast. Please drop us a review, drop us a comment. We deeply appreciate it. So, will Lane ever leave the house again? Can Goku buy enough time to form the spirit bomb? And where can we find a YouTube clip of that dog with a cabbage in its mouth? Find out next time on Gilmore Ball Z. Gilmore Ball Z.